we are continuing in our study in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open up to that. That's on page 405 of your Bibles we, that uh, we've provided for you that you picked up there in the back. Uh, we'd love for you to follow along with that. And uh, we're, we're talking about in what did Jesus do, or WDJD. And so uh, make sure you pick up one of these uh, wristbands in the back, these silicone wristbands. It's got the WDJD on it and the website as well. So we're going to wear those throughout the series, and I hope that will be a reminder to you. And also uh, some folks might ask you why you're wearing that, and, and you would be able to explain why you're doing that and tell them about what's going on at the Orchard Church. Uh, you guys like getting gifts, don't you? You like getting gifts? Everybody likes getting a gift. A good gift, right? If it's not a good gift, then it becomes a re-gift, right? Yeah, I know. I know what you do. And so uh, I've got this story about, you know, growing up when I was a little kid, I remember this Christmas. My mom really wanted this. And it was a food processor, okay? And it was kind of the time when food processors were coming out, you know, available. I'm going to get into here if I can someone backstage here. It, it'll be my gift to you this morning. All right? There you go. Thanks, Gary. Okay, how's that? All right. I even sound nicer with that, don't I? <laughs> so, uh, so my mom got this food processor, and she really wanted it for Christmas. My dad picked it up for her. You know, uh, my brother and I, we were little kids. We knew that she was getting it. This was going to be like the best gift ever for her. And she unwrapped it from the wrapping paper. She could see it was the food processor that she wanted. She was so excited about it. And my dad said, okay, Kay, stop just a minute. Right when you open up the top of the box, the blades are right there. You really need to be careful. Do you understand that? Okay, all right, all right, we all understood. We open up the top of the box, the blades are right there. And so uh, my mom opened up the top of the box and, you know, peeled back the four cardboard sides and was so excited and with both hands went, ah, <laughs> and just cut her hands all up. <laughs> yeah, Christmas morning was never the same, you know. It was just, that, that's just how it was. And we talked about that. We were like, I wonder if it's busy at the emergency room right now. You know, being Christmas morning, it's probably not. And so every Christmas that comes, we always talk about that gift. And let's not let this Christmas morning be another uh, food processor day. So it's kind of a family joke of ours about that gift. Well, as we continue in Mark chapter 2 this morning, uh, we're going to look at some gifts that Jesus gives to us. And uh, Mark, uh, if, you, if you're there in Mark chapter 2, Mark begins the chapter with the word and. And chapter 2 is really a continuation of chapter 1. And uh, you guys know that uh, chapters, breakups, and, and verses, verse numbers, those weren't, you know, in, in the original writings as God gave them to men to write. And so those were added a little bit later. And this is really a continuation here. And it's been said the word and that Mark uses a whole lot is really the cement that holds the gospel of Mark together. So really we continue here today with joining what has already happened with what's going to come next. And uh, as we learned last week, uh, a lot of chapter 1 took place in the city of Capernaum. 
and news was beginning to spread now. Things were happening. There's a miracle working uh, teacher on the scene. Great crowds were starting to gather to see Jesus and, and, and watch and see people healed and all of those things. And at the end of chapter 1 last week, if you'll remember, we saw that Jesus could not openly enter back into Capernaum again because of these crowds. He was outside the city for a while. We don't know how long he was outside the city, but he, he was for some time here. And now the time has come at the beginning of chapter 2 here to go back into the city of Capernaum. And he, he is, Jesus is now on a mission to demonstrate what his ministry and his mission is all about. So he goes back to the city of Capernaum. Remember from last week, really the headquarters of his earthly ministry uh, until he goes into Jerusalem near the time of the cross. But he had, he had come and, and he was healing people physically. And now he goes back into Capernaum and it changes from not only physical but now spiritual. That there is a spiritual lesson behind these miracles. That there is something greater for people to experience than just a physical healing, but there is a spiritual change that can be that can take place in a person's life, and and they can be reconnected with God the Father and experience that and enter into the family or the kingdom of God. And so Jesus knew people needed to understand that that it wasn't only physical, but now it's spiritual as well. So in this section we're going to look at this morning, Jesus makes it clear that he has come to offer three wonderful spiritual gifts. And the first gift is, and this is in your notes this morning, the first gift, of course, is forgiveness. Forgiveness. And let's, uh, let's look together now at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says this in verse 1. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And we'll stop right there. So Jesus returns into Capernaum, uh, back to what is, if you remember from chapter 1, what is most likely Peter's house. And he continues to preach the word to this packed house. Uh, there wasn't even room to sit. The door was crowded, all of that. And I just want to say, why? Why would it be so crowded? Because Jesus is there. And he's giving the good news that there's eternal life. And you can have a home in heaven and forgiveness of sin. And so he's preaching the good news. But because of the crowd, some could not, especially with some physical needs, they could not get close to Jesus. However, these four friends of this paralyzed man lower their friend through the roof. Which, like I said, was most likely Peter's house. Can you imagine Peter freaking out during this? You know, they're dismantling his roof. They're, you know, they're tearing through it to drop this man through. And in verse 5, we read it there. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven you. So he comes to bring forgiveness. And, you know, at that moment, I can, I can just imagine those guys on the roof thinking or maybe even shouting down, no, Jesus, not, not just that. We wanted you to heal him. Make him stand up. Make him well again. That's why we brought him to you. 
And that's really what Jesus is actually doing. Healing him, making him whole again, both spiritually and physically. See, these guys, I, I like to talk about these, these four friends of the paralyzed man. They didn't need to simply pray about whether they should do this. You know, they put action to their faith. They took some action. They didn't let the difficult circumstances around what was happening, the crowded house, discourage them. You know, they worked together. They dared to do something different. And Jesus heals their friend. They could have said, you know, there's no sense trying to go over there today because it's just really crowded. You know, maybe we can try again tomorrow. I think they're giving out tickets tomorrow too. Or, you know, it's just, it's so busy over there, we'll never even get close to Jesus. You know, they were determined. They got on the roof, dismantled the roof, lowered their friend through. That's determination, folks. That's commitment. And when I read about that and think about that, I, I begin to think about, you know, there can be a lack of commitment and determination in, in the modern church today. You know? I mean, not at the Orchard Church. But, but, you know, in, in the church in, in general, there, there can be a lack of commitment, a lack of determination. You know, so, some might say, well, you know, it's, it's cloudy today. Probably shouldn't attempt going to church. Or, you know, I, I saw one flake of snow in the air. Better stay home. Get ready to shovel. Or how about this one? Hey, this Sunday, my team is playing. It's getting really quiet in here. You know? There can be that lack of commitment today in, in the modern church. And sometimes we don't bring people to church or, or to hear about Jesus or we don't tell them about Jesus personally because of obstacles in our lives. You know? But not these guys. Not these guys we're reading about this morning. They knew if we bring our friend into the presence of Jesus he will be healed. They knew it. They had faith in that. And they, you know, they really did what seems, as we read this, what seems silly. You know, taking apart the roof, what seems a little crazy. I'm sure there were some folks yelling at them. They have done what seems extreme, right? This is a little extreme to take the roof apart and drop this man through, right? They're, they're doing what is a little kind of crazy here and, and silly, but they believed, if we bring our friend to Jesus, we know he's going to be changed. He's going to be healed. So let me ask us that this morning. Do you believe that? That if you bring somebody to Jesus, that Jesus will change their life? You know, do you, do you, do you really believe that? Does our actions and our behavior reflect what we say we believe about our Lord? It should. Would you go to great lengths to bring someone to Christ? Because that was great lengths they went to. You know, that was, that was some difficult stuff. And you can go to great lengths to tell somebody about Jesus. And it might be just a simple, simple way. Like this. You might put a little Orchard Church auto sticker on your car. A lot of you have these on your car, right? Okay, for those of you that don't, they're being applied right now during the service. <laughs> just by the youth. <laughs> we'll be careful not to scratch anything. 
You, you might put this on your car, and you know what? You go, you go driving around with this, and, and people see it. We recently got a call at the ministry center from someone that said this. Um, we've seen the advertisement and the Brighton Buzz. We've seen some signs around and some things like that. We talked about maybe we should go to the Orchard Church and try that out, but we had it. And she said this, and I quote, Then we saw these stickers all, all over cars wherever we went, and we said, That must be a sign from God. We're going to the Orchard Church. And so that, that's a great, simple, beginning way to tell somebody about the church. They'll come in here and hear about Christ. I'm telling you guys this. You're a Memorial Day weekend crowd. You can be a part of that. Uh, you know, we do these invite cards for special days a lot of times, but then there's always this, this basic card that's back there that you can leave with someone, a waiter, waitress, a friend, a neighbor. You do something for them, help them out. I know some folks that were shoveling people's driveways this past winter and then leaving them an invite card or one of our cards that says, uh, no strings attached, uh, showing God's love. And so, you know, that's just a simple thing you could do. Now, that might seem silly, might seem crazy, that might seem extreme, but you can make a difference in someone's life with something like that. You know, this past uh, Easter week, but the week before Easter, we had 10,000 invites of, inside of plastic eggs go out in lawns in the area. Did you know that? You might have got one. And because uh, there were 10,000 of them. And we throw those out in lawns and all of that. And that might seem a little silly. But there were people here on Easter that got an egg in their lawn and heard the good news. That's important. Even if it seems small or silly or extreme. And that's what, that's what these guys did. In their time it might have uh, seemed uh, silly or extreme what they were doing. We need to be thinking like that as well today. Look with me at verse number 6. Let's look at verse 6 of, of Mark 2 now. We're told this in the scriptures. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they had reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So we're told in verse 6 that the scribes didn't like this. You know, the scribes were experts in the law. You might call them Pharisees. Uh, the book of Luke actually calls them lawyers. And the Lord looked within their hearts and knew what they were thinking, that they were saying, this is blasphemy. This is just blasphemy that Jesus said your sins are forgiven. And by the way, blasphemy is when you claim to be God and you're not. And that's what the scribes believed here. And the scribes were going, man, only God can forgive sins. I cannot believe that Jesus is claiming to be God with this statement. The scribes knew uh, in the book of Isaiah that it says that God forgives sins. He blots them out. Isaiah chapter 42, he remembers them no more. They knew that. You remember they were experts in the Old Testament. They knew that, but they rejected the fact that Jesus is God. 
And even though he's going he's gonna to show to them and prove to them his divine power, they still reject him. Real quickly, here's three things as we read that passage that you notice that Jesus did to, to show he was God. Just, just real quick. He proves he's God by he read their hearts. They start reasoning within themselves and thinking about, hey, this guy is, is blasphemous and thinking that. And Jesus really reads their minds and hearts about what's going on here in verses 6 and 8, 6, 7, and 8. And uh, then he gives them something to ponder. He replies to their thoughts and he says, which is easier, to tell a man he's forgiven or to heal him? And say, arise and walk. Well, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because nobody can prove whether or not the forgiveness really took place. So he heals. Secondly, he, uh, he not only reads their thoughts, but he heals the paralyzed man. He tells him to take up his bed and walk, and he does. In verses uh, 10 through 12. But notice this. He meets the spiritual need first and the physical need second. He meets the man's spiritual need first. And then to back up his words, he immediately heals the man, sends him home. It's just amazing. And then the third thing you'll notice, and this is, this is kind of a smaller one that you might, notice, might not notice here. In verse 10, he applies the title son of man to himself. Son of man, and you might just circle that or underline that in your Bible in verse 10. And son of man was an Old Testament title for the coming Messiah, God in the flesh. It's mentioned in way back in Daniel chapter 7 that the son of man would come and be the savior. It's mentioned 80 other times in the gospels with Christ. Son of man. And these Pharisees are going he just called himself the son of man. They got it. He just called himself God. That'd be like, you know, once November passes, I get up here to do the welcome on some Sunday, and I say, hey, I just wanted to let you guys know that uh, I didn't run for office. Uh, my name wasn't on the ballot, but I am now the president. And you'd be going, no, he's not. No, he's not. What is he talking about? That's kind of how the scribes felt at this point when Jesus uh, uses or applies to himself the title Son of Man. What an opportunity. The scribes were there in the house in this crowded place, but they came with a critical spirit instead of a repentant heart. It would have all changed if they'd come with a repentant heart. Man. But verse 11 and 12 talks about him taking up his bed and leaving the house. And, you know, the, all the people were there and they were amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Man, those are some great verses right there. And, you know, as believers today, God asks us to walk by faith and to, to be obedient to his word as he leads us there. Let me just ask, can we go around excited and praising God for what he's done in our lives? You know, can, can we be that excited like this, this crowd was here that we're reading about? You know, letting others know the power of God in our lives, what God has done for us. I hope we can. This man did. You know, this past uh, Easter, it's time to celebrate a little, right? Right in the middle of the message. We had 128 people follow the Lord in baptism right up here in a horse trough. Uh, watering tank on the stage 
You know, this summer, you have an opportunity as people are out a little more this summer. You know, they're mowing their lawns and outside a little bit more. Uh, people are out and about to invite someone to church, to tell them about uh, where you go on Sunday and what it's all about. You take that opportunity this summer. You know, July 4th is coming up, and we're going to be involved again in the Saturday prior to the 4th at the Reunion Independence Day celebration. We're going to need a lot of help for that. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be a big event that we do as a church, and our praise team's going to be there doing music and all of those things. Why do we do stuff like that? To bring people to Jesus. To bring people to Jesus. You know, it's a, it's a bridge event, we call them, so that they can come check out the Orchard Church and hear the good news. So the first gift that the Lord brings to us is forgiveness. The second gift is, just write this word down, fresh. Fresh. Something fresh. And we'll pick up here in Mark chapter 2, verse number 13. Mark 2, verse 13 through 17. Let's read that. It says in verse 13, Then he went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we'll pause right there. He receives, uh, he, he calls this man by the name of Levi. Other books of the Bible tells us that he receives a new name, and we know him as Matthew, the tax collector. So Jesus calls him, and Matthew invites some other tax collectors and sinners over to his house. Now, in those days, being a tax collector was worse than working for the IRS today. Okay? You were known for ripping people off back then as a tax collector. You were in cahoots with Rome and the government there. You were charging way too much. You were taking money like crazy. And so they were despised people. Exactly the kind of people Jesus wanted to reach. And of course, there were critics there too. And Jesus uses each question that the critics ask to teach him, uh, to teach them something about how he is there to fulfill the needs of people and how he's going to fulfill his mission. And I'm going to give you three different illustrations that Jesus uses now, and we'll just sum them up with one word. And the first illustration is physician. Physician. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, you know what? These, these people are the ones in need of a physician. You know, it's the sick that need a physician. He's speaking spiritually here. You know, Jesus didn't consider these people rejects like the religious leaders did. He knew that, hey, these friends of Matthew's, they're like patients who need a physician. And Jesus was that physician. He could make things right. He could give them forgiveness. So we see that Jesus here is compared with a physician. And, you know, he comes in our need and he, he brings forgiveness. He pays the bill. He does all of that on his own. 
That's the kind of physician they needed. Now, uh, you wouldn't think anyone would be upset about this. Jesus is dining with these folks. No one should be upset about this, right? Who is? The religious leaders. They're the one group that's upset about this. Well, why is this? Well, they didn't want to associate with these kinds of people. I don't want to associate with them. They're known sinners, kind of a seedy group. And uh, look, we've got some tax collectors over there. It's got to be bad. You know, We're, we don't want to associate with them. I'll tell you what, church, Christians do the same thing today and can have the same attitude if we're not careful. And here we have in Scripture Jesus right in the middle, right in the middle of, of the tax collectors and these other sinners because he came to save those who were lost. He came to heal those who were sick, you and me at one point. And if we're not careful, as Christians, we can get into our holy huddle in, in our church or our group, and, and it can just be us four and no more, and we don't know anybody else but each other, and we're all Christians. Well, that's a shame. You know, once in a while, someone will come to Pastor Doug or myself, and they'll say something like this. I have this friend who is, you know, fill in the blank, an alcoholic, far from God, you know, going through this or that. And then they'll ask, can I bring them to church? And we go, yes, absolutely, bring them. But you know why they ask? For fear out of what's been done in the past. Somewhere down the road in their lives where they've brought their friend to a church and the attitude has been, we don't want to be around them people. That's too bad. Now, people can use this passage of Scripture as uh, license, too, to party and hang out with, you know, whoever. Sinners and tax collectors. Just party all the time is what we're going to do because Jesus did it. No, Jesus hung out with his disciples. He socialized with anybody. And so there's some balance there. So we have a physician, and the second illustration that's used is the wedding. And just write the word wedding in there. And we're going to look at verses 18 through 20 here. A wedding. Verse 18 says this. And this is, this is just, this is a great passage of scripture. There's some confusing uh, words in here. But check this out. The disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came to him and said, why do the disciples of John and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those, those days. Let's just stop right there. So the, while the first question was, why are you hanging out with these people? The next question the scribes and Pharisees ask are, Jesus, why are you guys having such a good time with these people and you're not fasting like the rest of us? And so that's what was going on here. Why, Jesus, why are you sitting around the table with these people and, and what you're doing seems inappropriate to us? And even John the Baptist's disciples, what you're doing just seems like you're having too much fun here. Jesus already made it clear that he is there to save sinners. And he's not going to compliment the righteous, the self-righteous. And the point he's making now is that he had come to bring gladness, not sadness. 
That's what all, all those verses there about the, the, the whole bridegroom and all of that and the, the wedding. That's, Jesus is talking about, you know, I've come to bring gladness in life, not sadness. And thanks to the legalism imposed by the scribes and the Pharisees, the Jewish religion had now become this burdensome thing. And nobody could obey all the rules and regulations, and they were just weighed down by that, and it was impossible to obey. And the point Jesus is making here is this. Scribes, Pharisees, life is not supposed to be a funeral. Jesus told them, God wants life to be like a wedding feast. And I'm the bridegroom, and these people are my wedding guests. Are not wedding guests supposed to have a good time at a wedding? And that's what he's saying to them here. Well, I'll tell you this. Sometimes someone may visit the Orchard Church and be uncomfortable when they visit. You say, well, why is that? Well, if they've had an experience growing up in a church that's like a funeral, a dead environment, and they come into this place, you guys clap. You guys clap during the music, sometimes during the message. You know, we're going to receive the offering in a little bit. You'll probably clap there too. You know, you guys are clappy people. And that's awesome. We have a band. You know, there's some people that play the electric guitar. And it's like, you know. And they might come into that and be, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable in here because everybody's smiling and hugging and shaking hands. And this seems to be life in this place. I'm uncomfortable. You know, that can happen. And it's not a problem with what's going on here. It's a problem with what they've experienced in the past and what they, and that, that baggage that they're carrying into this place, like the baggage the scribes and Pharisees were carrying around about the rules and regulations that they had. It's to be in a live place. You know, in, in Psalm 1611, the Bible says this, you will show me the path of life, talking to God, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. With God, there is life. In him, walking with him is great. And that's what Jesus is conveying here to these scribes and the Pharisees with this illustration about uh, the, the bridegroom and all of this. So we have an illustration of a physician. Uh, we have an illustration of something fresh. And thirdly, another illustration. And the word we're going to use is just simply new. Write the word new down there. Let's look at verse 21 and 22. Verse 21 says this. Jesus goes on, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth to an old garment or else the new piece pulls away from the old when the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old brittle wineskins or else the new wine bursts, uh, bursts the wineskins and wine is spilled and the wineskins are ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins. We'll stop there. So Jesus is teaching some lessons here. First one, I came to save sinners. Second one, I came to bring gladness, not sadness. And the third lesson he's teaching with this talk of garments and wineskins is this. I came simply to introduce the new, not patch up the old. That's his point here. 
Jesus says, in effect, if I were to come in and mix my ways with your old traditions, it would like be taking a, a piece of fabric out of a new garment. Now you've ruined the new garment, sewing it into the old garment. Now you wash that, and that new piece shrinks. Now you've ruined the old garment, and now both are ruined. And he says that about the wineskins, too. You put new wine into an old brittle wineskin, and it ferments, and the gas starts to expand and breaks that old wineskin. He said, that's, that's not how, how it works. We might think of it like this today. You know, you get a new car, you bring that new car home, and you park it in your driveway. I mean, how many of us would go, you know, I think I'm going to take the, uh, the old bald tires and nicked up alloy wheels off my old car and put them on my new car. Let's do that, you know, and switch them all out. Or would you go into your new car and go, you know what, I, need, I really need, because I miss the old floor mats out of my old car, I'm going to put them in my new car. Jesus is going, no, it doesn't work like that. The, the new doesn't mix with the old like that. And Jesus' point was just this. He's telling these guys, I did not come to work within this old, dead religious system, but to call people into a relationship with him. And that was something new. I tell you what, many times this can be a problem in churches where people begin to, you know, God begins to work and people put God in a box. You can't ever put God in a box and market him. God will not be put in a box. We need to be open to God's leading and his spirit and what he wants to do uh, in our church and community. I believe if we don't, he'll look elsewhere to bless and elsewhere to work. You know, but there are a lot of people, not at the Orchard Church, I know, but in the world today, that, that say, say this a lot. You can't do that. Well, why not? Well, because you just can't do that. You can't have church unless you have a steeple. You can't have church unless you have a choir and robes and pews. Who thought up that name for seats? What an awful name. You know what I'm saying? You can't meet in a high, in a high school. Have you ever heard that? I'll tell you what, our pastors have heard that from other pastors. It's terrible. You know what? I'll tell you the heart of our leadership team. We want a church that stays fresh, that is current, not changing the message, always opening up this book, and that is fresh and current, or this book, as some of you are using your Bible today. And that, that is, believes in new, not changing the message, but the methodology, yes, when it needs to be changed. I promise you this, six years ago, nobody thought we'd have mannequins on stage for a message series. <laughs> and that we would name one of them Lisa and that she would do the rundown. Okay? Pretty interesting, huh? So the first gift the Lord gives to us is forgiveness and then something fresh. And the third gift is freedom. Jot that down in your notes. Freedom. This is a wonderful gift that he gives us. We're going to continue in verse number 23 through 28. More controversy brewing around Jesus. Let's look at verse 23. Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain, which was not illegal if you were eating them. It was only illegal in that time if you were putting them into a container. Verse 24, and the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And that was the problem, the Sabbath. But he said to them, 
Have you never read what David did? Remember, they, these were experts in the what? Old Testament. Of course they had read this. What David did when, when he was in need and hungry and those that were with him, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests. He also gave some to those, the troops who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, dropping that term again, is also Lord of the Sabbath. We'll pause right there. So uh, Jesus said, you know, Jesus and his men were passing through this grain field. They're hungry. They begin to pull some heads of grain off that and, and eat a little bit of that. And the Pharisees see this going on and go, look, they're working on the Sabbath. Rule breakers. So they're going to tattletale about them, right? Now the Sabbath, you got to understand this, was very sacred to the Jews. God gave this Sabbath day to the people of Israel after they left the bondage in Egypt. And there's no record in Scripture of God ever giving any other nation but the nation of Israel the Sabbath. And so when Jesus and his disciples seemingly are violating the Sabbath, it was like to the Pharisees, man, Jesus is declaring open war on us and our religious faith and all of these things. This is bad, guys. And, and, and in verse number 25, we saw that there. He mentions what David had done, and he had, you know, he had eaten some food that was only for the priests. And he, Jesus points him to the scriptures, just points him to the scriptures, reminds them of David. Another point he goes on to make in 27 and 28 is this. Jesus is talking about the Sabbath day and how he's saying in this, God instituted the Sabbath to benefit man by giving him a day of rest and to be a blessing to man. The Pharisees had turned it into a burden and made man a slave to their giant man-made can of rules and regulations. In this case, the Sabbath day. And Jesus is saying here, man's needs come first over rules, regulations, and laws. Man's needs should come before rules, regulations, and laws. That's what he was saying about the story about David that's what he was saying when he says here about that that uh, I am Lord of the Sabbath and the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath you know man's needs should come before that and listen church when they do not that's backwards that's legalism when rules and regulations become more important than the needs of people let me, let me explain what I mean. Say you're walking down the street and you see a, a big house over there and they have a pond on their property and you notice that someone is drowning in the water of the pond and they're yelling, help, help me, help me. And you're walking by and you notice as you're thinking about helping that there is a sign in the lawn that says no trespassing. So what are you going to do? Well, I hope somebody hears that person soon. Maybe somebody on the property will help them. No, of course not. You would run past the sign and help the poor person that's drowning. And guess what? You wouldn't get in trouble for it. You would be a hero for helping them. You know, that, that's, that's an illustration of what's going on here. Why would you be a hero? Because man's needs should come before rules and regulations of the law. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's Lord of the Sabbath. He's our rest. He's our freedom. Man kept making up all these rules and regulations and weighing down people. And it was terrible. There's freedom in Jesus Christ, folks. There is freedom in him. 
me say something real practical about this. Once in a while, you may come to the Orchard Church, and you'll see somebody dressed not how you would dress. They might be in shorts. They might have a Broncos jersey on. You're all going, amen, preach it now. You, they, you know, they, they might be dressed in a way that, that you would not be dressed. You might walk by a hallway and see some teenage girl kind of dressed not how you would dress your kids. Let me say this. Because this is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Get over it. With a smile. Get, get over it. You know what? When I see that, I'm thinking, I'm glad she's here today at church. You know? Yeah, could be elsewhere, right? I'm, I'm thinking, I'm glad they're here in their team stuff. Because they could be at a tailgating party. You know what? Tell you what, I wear my jersey backstage where no, none of you can see it, so you don't throw rocks at me. But I'd be wearing one too. And, and that's, that's going to happen. There is freedom in Christ. And uh, if we're not careful and we let that kind of stuff bother us, we become the Pharisees just interested in outward appearance. Just interested in what's going on on the outside when we have no idea what's going on in the inside of that person's heart. Look with me at chapter 3. The beginning of chapter 3. Now, some of you are going, chapter 3? We're not done yet? Uh, like I said, chapter breakups weren't a part of the, you know, the original Bible, so this continues here. We've got to look at a little bit of chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 through 6, chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue again, <laughs> again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely. Okay, he's got spies now. They're following Jesus, trying to catch him in a trap. They watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. How hard is your heart that you're, you're not wanting Jesus to heal a man, but you want to catch him healing on the Sabbath? Verse 3, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to him, is, then he said to them, this is the scribes and Pharisees here, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. They're going, what? What, what did he just say? That's confusing. And when he had looked around them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. That is awesome. Isn't that awesome? Verse 6, then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. They don't like Jesus now at this point. So same Sabbath day, goes into the synagogue. He is there to deliberately heal a man and challenge the rules and the regulations but once again, you know, those guys are there watching. They've got their legalistic traditions. And Jesus could have waited one more day, right? But he's purposely doing this now on the Sabbath, challenging what was going on. And here's, here's a point. And this is in your notes, I believe. Jesus was more interested in meeting people's needs than keeping traditions. Jesus is more interested in meeting people's needs than keeping traditions. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you, aren't you glad that he met your need and my need? Yeah. Hey, look, at their, their hearts are hard. They're just waiting to trap Jesus here. It's seeing if he's going to heal him. This man, of course, probably knew nothing about the spiritual battle that was going on with the, the whole healing on the Sabbath day. He just simply obeyed when he was commanded and stretched out his hand, and he was healed. 
It's so upset of the Pharisees about this that they, you know, they, they go unite with the Herodians, the Bible tells us, to make a plan to destroy Jesus. By the way, the Herodians weren't even a religious group. They were more of a political group. They were sympathetic to King Herod. Them and the Pharisees never got along or did anything together. So the fact that they're joining up to take out Jesus says a lot. You know, we've got to get together on this to get rid of Jesus. Listen, it has come to that point. We, we have got to do this. Now look at verse 7. It continues on here. Something else happens. But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea and Samaria, I'm sorry, Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and those from Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard how many things he was doing, came to him. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. Crowds are gathering here. People are excited to see what's going on. Verse 10, for he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, they fell down before him and cried out saying, you are the son of God. Who's not admitting he's the son of God? The religious leaders. Who is? The demons. <laughs> Verse 12, he has to warn the demons, but he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. We'll pause right there. We'll stop there. So in response to this opposition that was coming up, Jesus has to get out. He, you know, he, he withdrew from there. The crowds were pressing on him still. You know, there's, this was a major problem now. They had to get a boat ready in case the crowds pressed on him too much that he would be crushed. And so he, he is getting out of the, of the city of, again of Capernaum, and uh, he's still receiving people. He's still healing the sick. He's still casting the demons out of people. Once again, as, as he did in, uh, in Mark chapter 1, he warns them not to reveal who he is. And this is now a crisis in Jesus' ministry. Great crowds were following him. Their interests, not so much spiritual. They wanted to see the, the healings and all of that. And now he's got the Pharisees and the Herodians coming against him. And it's because he offered them forgiveness and something fresh and freedom. But the religious leaders, they refused his offer. They refused it. You know, what we've seen in this chapter in a, in a piece here is about Jesus is on the scene to meet people's needs, to meet their needs. And Jesus is saying, come as you are. You don't have to clean up first. You just come as you are. You know, I know for myself and several of us others on the uh, uh, leadership team, we had some experience growing up in churches that were really overly focused on rules and regulations and what you were wearing or what you were not wearing. And that doesn't bring life. That doesn't speak of hope. And Jesus is now on the scene in this section of Scripture going, I am here with life and hope and good news and it is about your physical and spiritual needs, not all these rules and regulations that man has added to the law. You know? I'll tell you what. 
something else about our team here at the Orchard Church? We love this city. We love this city of, of Brighton, Henderson, Commerce City, Thornton. We love this place. We are here for a reason because God has the good news for this place, and we love it. When I sit at one of the 800 train track spots near my house, and the train is going by for the 20th time that day, can I say something honestly when that happens? I love this city. I do. And our leadership team does as well. We hope you see that in our hearts. We want to get to the place where we roll out and start celebrate recovery to meet people's needs where they are. We want to see that happen. We want to see people come to Christ like that. And when they do, they won't dress like you. They won't talk like you. They, they won't even look like you. And Memorial Day weekend crowd, you can help us with this, with this atmosphere that says, come as you are. You don't have to clean up. What's important is that you receive Christ as your Savior, not what you're wearing. Come as you are. And Jesus did whatever it took to meet the people's needs, and we should too. We should do the same.